So maybe there is a little bubble, but in the end of the day, there's so many companies that all of them are selling yeah. something. Um, so I don't think, I think the bubble that's going to explode is actually of the people who's not aware and not dealing with the cyber attack in the companies. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Let's talk about cybersecurity with Omri Segev Moyal, the CEO of Profero. Omri is a highly successful entrepreneur, nationally recognized speaker, and as of recently, a Forbes 30 under 30 achiever. He is also the co-founder of Profero. Omri's passion for empowering others through public speaking stems from the many years of experience building successful companies of his own. He is dedicated to sharing his knowledge and proven skills with others in hopes that he can provide them with simple solutions that can solve complex problems and help to remove any barriers that stand in their way. His intense focus and drive for success has positioned him to be one of the top thought leaders in the entrepreneurial and startup space. Omri Segev Moyal, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michael. I'm really happy and honored to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited because, you know, you're taking something that I spent quite a few years in, cybersecurity, and, and you're literally facing this, this world in what I think is probably the most interesting part of the cybersecurity space, which is the actual incident response. You know, we work tirelessly on this cat and mouse game, but at the end of the day, shit hits the fan, something happens, and then the question is, okay, what do we do now, right? And we don't talk about that enough, we don't hear about that enough. And so in these 20 minutes, Omri, I want to first understand, you know, your, you and your perspective in the cyberspace, why you went into incident response, and then try to figure out how do companies actually react in these situations and how do you, with your company, help them get through it? So Omri, thank you for coming. Share with me a little bit about yourself and why cyber? Cool. So why cyber? It's actually going before it was called cyber. I think it was called maybe information security. Um, I started quite early, around 12. Uh, my grandfather, was, which was a retirement from the IDF, uh, retired from the IDF. He, at the age of 60-ish plus, decided he was really good at math. And he decided that computers are the next big thing. And I'm going to teach all my grandsons, uh, granddaughters, uh, everything I can about computers. So he self self-taught himself. He learned how to program things like Pascal and C, etc. And he bought uh, every uh, uh, granddaughter or grand, uh, grandson, uh, he bought a computer. So it's actually divided. Half of us are technophobic, hate computers, don't want to touch an iPhone or an, or an Android. And the other half just super in love with anything related to tech. So it's like either he pushed them too hard and they didn't want it and they hate it, or it's something we all do. And I was pretty much into it pretty young age. Uh, I am dyslectic, so uh, it actually really helped me when I was young, really, really helped. Uh, I'm, I, I spent most of my childhood either outside making problems or on the computer. I almost barely went to school. I'm a dropout. 
Uh, I don't even have a bagrut. I'm not sure. Like, oh my god! Diploma. Yeah, it's you know, like it's like you didn't you didn't finish twelfth grade, right? You didn't yeah, take the exactly. No, insane. Nothing. Uh, so I didn't do all of that, but I either self-taught myself a lot of other stuff, and uh, or just went outside, did a lot of you know pranks and like nothing illegal, but you know, just a kid uh, having a lot of free time, not going to school. Um, so Omri, what, how was your family at that point? You know, you're obviously, you know, you're such a curious person. And in a second, you're going to be sharing with me the way that you're helping, you know, work through the most complicated scenarios in the world. And yet you're not finishing high school and you're doing pranks. What, how, you know, there's a quite a big dissonance here. You know, when I was young, some people said it's a lost cause and I don't know what we're going to do with him. But my parents were pretty much... Listen, it's probably because it's, it's dyslective. It doesn't feel comfortable at school. Let's not push him. Let's make sure it just doesn't go anything illegal. It doesn't yeah. do anything bad and let the kid live. Now, whether they were right or wrong, I don't know it's almost like flipping a coin, I think, what they did. And, <laughs> and I fell on the right side. That's I the give way them I more think. credit than that, yeah. But that's the way I still feel about it today. Wow. Um, I don't know if I will raise my children the same, but it does have, at least looking like backward in time, it does feel a bit like that. Um, you know, I could have done a lot of other things and ended up in a whole different place. But, you know, it it will, it's hard to judge. You know what I mean? Uh, 100%, 100%. 100%. So, uh, Omri, I want to jump to understanding a little bit better you know, within cyber, they, you know, so you, you, you get into it, great, but incident response, how do you get into that realm? Because you've done quite a few things in the cyberspace. Yeah, cool. So uh, one of my first uh, rodeo in actual cybersecurity uh, was my own company called Snagbyte. And we basically did some kind of what it's called today, threat intelligence, bot hunting, which is basically trying to be proactive monitoring hackers. It wasn't called exactly like that in the day, but this is what it was. Um, and at a certain point, um, it was uh, all on me. I had around five employees and I felt that it's too much for me at that point of time. I was around 23, 24. And I said, listen, it's too much. Um, so I joined a bigger company called ClearSky. And ClearSky, had, it was a service company and it had a lot of customers. And right from the start, the thing I found myself and I always did. I did it in the army and I did it, you know, when I was younger. I'm really good under stress and under when everybody's crying and running out and there's a lot of pressure. This is where I work the best. It's just, I don't know why and how I got to be like that. But if it's boring or being static, this is actually where I'm not good at. When there's a lot of adrenaline, a lot of pressure, I thrive. So, uh, it was really easy for me to be pushed for an instant response. That's how I got into it. Um, and I realized I'm, I might be okay in that field. Like I'm, I'm actually enjoying the stress. I'm enjoying the atmosphere. Uh, following that, I, uh, I founded a company called Minerva Labs, which is kind of like, if I'm not pushing it too technical, some kind of a next gen uh, malware prevention system. Uh, I was the head of research there, uh, but also in Minerva, I 
also been really drawn to the incidents, the big incidents that we have in the largest customers. For example, one of them was the very notorious case of City of Atlanta. Um, I think it was in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Or two, I don't know, since COVID, everything has become it's hard to go back in time and when, what year was it? Uh, but I think it was 2017 or 18, uh, 17. Um, and I was really drawn into that. Uh, so I knew right from the start, the next thing I'm going to do and when I'm doing something is going to be an instant response. And when I left Minerva, I was just, you know, really into it. And, and there's a lot of work in our field. It's just uh, instant response for people who's not aware what it is. Uh, it's basically when an organization, an enterprise, a company, or even VIPs or personal people get, get hacked in any kind of way from, you know, wire transfer fraud to ransomware, uh, denial of service attacks, a lot of any hack. Uh, instant response, the general term of the team or whoever helps you solve the case. Uh, this is how it's called, so cyber incident response. I think that it's it's a, it's a very interesting inflection point right now because the, there's the common question, at least in the Israeli ecosystem, are we in a bubble, right? Is this a cyber bubble? And my immediate thinking says, well, there's only one way to check. Let's look at the incidents that are happening, right? But 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 people don't really talk about the incidents that are happening, and it's, and I can only imagine that. The companies often have the most incentive to quiet down the incidents, right? And so you have this dissonance between, you know, people who understand the industry that they're working tirelessly like you to prevent the incidents and to tackle them. There's the incidents that are happening that people don't really hear about. And then there's everybody else who doesn't really, who's not involved in this thing and saying like, why is everybody talking about this if it's not happening? Is it happening? Is it a common thing that's happening? So there is a sentence, uh, it, it was said in, it's really famous in the Wall Street bets. And they said, whenever someone says it's a bubble, they said it's a boomer <laughs> wall. It's a boomer wall. Uh, and I think it's the same. Listen, I know they're saying there's a huge bubble around cyber. I let down uh, every, so every customer I take free, we have to let down because we don't have enough resources. We're still expanding. We keep expanding and expanding. So you might say oh, it's a bubble, but look, we have companies that, you know, our company was emerged two years ago. We're already selling over 4 million ARR uh, in revenue and we are fully bootstrapped. I don't know many fields where it would have done the same. Uh, look at Wiz, everybody's speaking, you know, oh, it's a big bubble company. They have almost 30 million ARR in, I don't know, one year and a half, two years. Um, so maybe there is a little bubble, but in the end of the day, there's so many companies that all of them are selling yeah. something. Um, so I don't think, I think the bubble that's going to explode is actually of the people who's not aware and not dealing with the cyber attack in their companies and how it's exploding. It's not going to be some huge market bubble that everybody's going to suffer. It's going to be very personal to either your own computers or your own organization. And this is what we see, those small well, huge bubble, personal bubbles, though, are exploding. People are almost losing their businesses. I can't count the, many, the amount of times I got to organization and they're nearly on the verge of crying. I'm literally crying because they're either going to close their business if they don't do things right. Um, I, For example, we have a, a factory that we assisted uh, pro bono. We got a call from them. They said, listen, 
Uh, we're already in so much debt. We have no money to pay you. If I don't get recovered in 48 hours, I'm just shutting down my whole life business. And we were like, okay, listen, we'll help. And, and we managed. It was hard, uh, but we managed. So these are the bubbles that were going to explode. And I don't think the stock exchange cyber companies bubble is going to be. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'll, I'll allow myself to say my own two cents about, you know, this idea of the bubble. I mean, at the end, we're talking about, you know, a lot of people are trained to look at the world today and say, does this make sense today? But at the end, you know, you're seeing the, you're seeing this from the inside, right? And you're seeing what's happening and we're, you know, together, we, the two of us can experience, you know, the, the growth of the opportunities for, for cyber defense and offense. And it's becoming scary, right? Every time we talk about digitalization of anything, you and I can think of, okay, there's, well, here are the million other ways that this thing can be exploited, which makes room for companies like Profero, but it also makes room for, for big valuations and for big opportunities for companies like Wiz and the likes. Omri, what happens in an incident? How does an incident happen? Who discovers it? You know, it's a big question, but walk me through sort of this journey that you're on. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I can't name, you know, the companies, etc. cetera, but uh, let's look back a certain point of time. It's somewhere between around April 2020. The whole world is under lockdown of a strange COVID virus, COVID-19. Nobody really knows what it is. And you, you are the administrator of a company in Hong Kong. If you remember what happened in Hong Kong in April, people couldn't even leave the house. There were riots, anti-Chinese administration riots, uh, etc. And you get a call from one of your business admin. Hey, whatever his name, I can't access anything. It's like, okay, I'm at my home. I can't do anything. And he's trying to access. And only thing he gets in the end is a one system. All the web servers are down. The entire organization is down. And all he gets from remote is a message saying, listen, your files and everything is under ransom. Pay us a lot of money. It was $8 million. Or uh, or suffer the consequences. We're going to leak all your data. Oh, my God. They can't even drive to the data center because of the lockdown to risk, like, to even, even put new servers. Oh my God. Not even, let's say, we don't care about the incident. Think how devastating it is for the business. They are away. They are remote. We are a company that based, well, we have people all over the world. We have people in New Zealand, we have people in the US, but in the end of the day, we all live in the cyberspace. Doesn't matter. We are a fully remote company. We can't reach Hong Kong, even if we really wanted to. We can't log in into the systems because the attackers actually gain control. What do you do in this type of, of case? This is one of the only times we've used actually offensive capabilities to get back in the servers, the hackers attacked, gain control. Now look at how many things you need to take care of. First of all, I need to verify somehow that a person in Hong Kong I'm speaking to actually owns that system. It may be someone pulling a prank on us or the really illegal right. thing. So that's number one. Number two, I need to pray God that we actually have the right offensive capabilities and, you know, we to actually gain control. And then I need to kick out the attackers and give the real people back access. Um, in the end of the day, in this specific case, actually ransom was paid. Um, in the end of the day, even though we kick the attackers, the best for the organization to get back during that time and not lose the entire business was to pay ransom. 
So you go to sleep one night, uh, you care of your family, you know, you collect a lot of food and stuff that what happened in April, and you wake up in the morning where, you know, there's riots in the street and you need to drive to a data center and try get. That's how hard cyber attacks can be. Now, moving forward to 2021, almost 2022, COVID is a bit more relaxed. People can leave the house. You know, it's still dangerous and everything. I'm not putting anything, you know, uh, not downplaying COVID, but you still can wake up and not having control over your own business or even a nation state, like the recent cases we have with Iran, nations that decide to target your small little business um, Maybe you sell clothes, for example, and they just target you because they want to shame your country and they will leak all your data, run some more your files. Now, what do you do in this type of things? Like most people don't know what to do. Both business, also tech, it's not something you usually deal with. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of bad choices. Uh, and this is the time usually when people call us. And that's where we get involved. That's where our team putting all the relaxation, putting all of our experience to first handle the situation at the best way possible during that very stressful time, getting the customers out of that situation. And after the incident, making sure it doesn't happen again to them. So become so do people in Prefera work, you know, the nine to seven, nine to eight hours? How does it work? Because... You know, I'm, I'm guessing you could get a call at 10 p.m. and say, listen, you know, we need to pay ransom within 24 hours or we're get or they're going to leak the credit card numbers on our system. You're you're the CEO of this thing, right? You're the entrepreneur. You're the leader. Obviously, you have a very talented team with you, but they have lives as well. How do you manage this whole thing? So at the start, it was really hard because, you know, it wasn't many of us and it was 24-7, doing everything, you know, and with all the people we had. But as the company grow, uh, we have people from all over the world. We we call it, like people used to call it follow the sun. I don't really like that uh, there, but we basically have people everywhere. For example, the actual day start in New Zealand. Uh, it's 11 hours different from Israel. So it's whenever they have daylight, we have you know, uh, we are, we are uh, during our night, etc. We have people from the US, we have people from India, we have people from England. So it's not really 24 right. seven because you do your usual day work. The benefit from it is first, we have really good capable people all over the world. And second, when you finish your day, it's someone else start of the day or at least halfway through and then someone else's start of the day. And therefore, Although it's really tricky business and it's people really under stress, for us, it's a day-to-day -day work. So in the end of the day, people are used to shifting over. Even if it's a very major incident, we can shift it over to the next crew, etc. So we're actually dealing with it like a normal day work. Um, and in weekends as well, we do like normal shifts between same way as production team are doing right. shifts, etc. What do you enjoy so most it's becoming very in steady. this field of work? Is it the, the excitement of a new case, sort of like a Sherlock Holmes? Is it the leadership part of it? Is it the technology part of it? I think not just myself, but the entire company, even people from the dev and business and the office admins. I think the best thing is the feedback we get from customers. 
And it's not that the feedback you will see on a message oh, your product right was now. deployed the best ever. And, you know, we, I, I, I can't really show yours or, you know, we don't have testimonials because it's not something we, we want to share with the public because, but it's, you saved my business. Um, you, I was, I was going to jump out of the roof and whatever you did is just magic. Uh, you know, people, the way we get, you know, we're getting sending presents, uh, we're getting sending a lot of things after. And, you know, I've been to many companies before. I never had that very, very emotional. I think doctors might have gotten I mean, that you type are of, a doctor, you know, feedback in, in a large it's way. It's not your tech is amazing or. Uh, you know, I wouldn't nick it's myself a, a doctor, doctor. Uh, but, but uh, it, it, it is the same feeling. Yeah, it is the same feeling. And, you know, especially if you do pro bono cases and stuff like that, it's, it's really, really emotional. Uh, on the other side, what keeps our living, it's, you know, building a bigger company, yeah. um, leaving the tech side and being a CEO. It's one of the I mean, only most I can imagine, you know, for me on a big difference almost a daily basis. That most companies, uh, they create products that are sold when other companies do well, right? Most SaaS products, most things that you get, that you, that most tech companies that are built, they're built for so that the successful companies pay, you know, to become more successful. Here you're saying we're building a product that, you know, we, we that when the company's most distressed, when they need us most, that's when we're there. We're at the lowest point. And, and I think that's awesome. I think that's a really, really awesome place to be at. And, and as a future entrepreneur and a, as a thinker, I, I get inspired by, you know, this type of company and by your work and the stories and, and, you know, I'm sure we can talk about this for hours, but, but I, I want to thank you for being here and for sharing this time with me. And, and I can't wait to share this with, with my friends, with my family. This is such an exciting journey that you're on. So thank you, Omri. Thank you very much.